0: Chapter 13, November 1977, age 22. Of all of Robert's friends and acquaintances, none of them were quite like Michael Cotilla. He was a handsome young man who had a reputation for being one of the nicest guys around and was popular among the ladies. His and Robert's mothers were good friends, and when Robert and Michael were toddlers, they took turns babysitting each other's sons. As they grew into boys... Michael was drawn to athletics while Robert opted for the F&R gang in fighting, but the two remained close friends, even after Michael's mother and father separated. Robert never knew of Michael to speak harshly to anyone, and he always had a good attitude, even when his situation was less than stellar. To Robert, Michael was a stand-up kind of guy whom he greatly admired and didn't deserve the tragedy that would soon befall him. A few months after the Broadcaster Inn murder trial, Robert received a call from Michael. I've got a fruit stand on Jamaica Avenue. Yeah, I know that. What? Somebody giving you a hard time? I can take care of that. No, it's nothing like that. It's the business flopped. I'm broke. Robert became well known as Nicky's right hand man. And as a result, many of his old friends would come to him looking for a handout or a job. Robert loved to help others. He was no Mother Teresa, but he enjoyed the notoriety that came with such acts of goodwill. It also gave him the opportunity to build his own crew. So you need a couple of dollars? I can loan you. No, man, I just need a job and thought maybe you could help me out. Robert scratched the side of his nose. Sure, I can get you a job. You know where the club is on Pacific Street? Yeah. Come by later on. I'll see what I can do for you. Michael showed up that night, his eyes shifting from one end of the building to the other. When he saw Robert signaling from one of the card tables, he smiled and walked over. Robert hugged him. My man, it's been a long time. He looked at his dark, curly hair. Did you always have an afro or is this something new? Michael laughed. I've always had the curly hair, but the afro's been around for a couple of years. Looks good on you. Hey, let me find Nicky and Lenny so I can introduce you. Robert started to look around. Could I talk to you first? Michael asked. Sure, come back here. We'll have a little privacy. Robert took Michael back to the storage room near the back of the building. After Robert shut the door, Michael said, Hey, man, I just wanted to tell you how much I appreciate you doing this for me. Sure thing. You stood up for me many times when I was a kid. Remember when no one would pick me to play punch ball? But when you were captain, you always picked me, just like my sister did. That meant a lot to me. Michael smiled out of the side of his mouth. Well, like I said, I appreciate it. He paused for a moment. I know the line of work you're in. And to be honest, I don't think I could do some of the things you guys do, like the rough stuff. Robert shook his head. No worries, man. I got you covered. Just trust me. Robert patted him on the back as he opened the door. You good at math? Robert introduced Michael to Nicky and Lenny. Before long, Lenny had Michael running routes, picking up policies for him. The same thing Robert did when he started working for Fat Andy. Although illegal, it required no rough stuff, as Robert promised. For several months, the only time Robert saw Michael was in passing. On more than one occasion, Robert invited Michael to go out on the town with him, but Michael declined every time. Within the Gambino family were several factions. Some were friendly towards each other, some not even tolerable. Most of the fights in which Robert was involved were with members of the other crews. This was unlike his days as a kid in the F.N.R. gang in Brooklyn, fighting other street gangs when ethnicity dictated the hatred. That same hatred existed, only now it was founded on greed, lust, and jealousy, brewed within the ranks of the Italian culture. Just as Charlie West headed up several crews that included Nicky's, an established mobster named Charlie Wagner was in charge of a different part of New York, which included the crew from Ozone Park. Gene Gotti, Robert's childhood hero, and his brother John were part of this crew. Nicky and John were rivals from childhood, both growing up in different street gangs fighting each other, Nikki from Eastern Parkway and John from Robert's old neighborhood. Unknown to Robert, Michael started dating a girl who was the former girlfriend of an associate in Charlie Wagner's group. Among mobsters, this was a major taboo, even if the girl was no longer dating him. Not long after Robert's trial, he finally convinced Michael to go out on the town with him. They stayed out late, jumping from one bar to the next. Around 4 o'clock in the morning, Robert and Michael, along with a couple of other guys, went to the Blue Fountain Diner, a popular place to eat after a long night. As Robert started to enter the diner with Michael right behind him, a girlfriend of Phyllis's named Kathy met him at the steps. She looked irritated. Hey, Robert, she said, and looked Michael over. There's some jerkin' there named Vito giving Phyllis a hard time. Robert and Phyllis were no longer dating, but he still had strong feelings for her. And since she was the daughter of reputed mobster Freddie Di Congilio, Robert was able to enjoy a higher status among his peers. On several of their dates, they dined with the famous and not-so-famous at the Copa Cabana. Even though Robert wasn't going out with her anymore, he wasn't going to let some guy hassle her. Robert snuffed out his cigarette against the brick wall. Where are they at? She's in a booth on the right. Lois and Martha are sitting with her. As Robert opened the door and walked in, he immediately saw Phyllis. She was leaning away from a long-haired guy dressed in blue jeans and a silk shirt. He had one hand on the back of their booth and the other on the table. Phyllis saw Robert, too. Her eyes conveyed desperation. He strolled with conviction down the aisle that led to the booth. Phyllis, you all right? He looked at Vito, who now stood facing Robert. She's fine, he said. His arms crossed in front of him. I wasn't talking to you. Robert said and referred to Vito as an unflattering part of the human anatomy. Who are you? Robert didn't want to stir up trouble inside the diner out of respect for the owners and the girls. So we got within a few inches of Vito and said in a low voice, why don't you come outside and find out? Robert turned and went back the way he came in. Apparently Vito was up for the fight since he followed him outside. To avoid disrupting the flow of business into the Blue Fountain Diner, they went to the other side of the street. Before they came to blows, Robert heard another commotion on the other side of Cross Bay Boulevard. The guys and his crew were fighting another group of guys. Under the street lights of early pre-dawn, Robert could see Michael in the middle of it all, a fish out of water in the midst of a brawl. Forgetting his fight with Vito, Robert ran over to Michael, who stumbled towards Robert with his shirt open and holding his chest. When Robert got close enough, he could see a small cut and very little blood. He stabbed me, Michael said, just before he fell to the ground. Robert knelt down next to him. Who stabbed you? I don't know who he is. Some guy. He pointed back to where the incident occurred. The group of men was gone, just as a police officer arrived. Together, he and Robert got Michael into the back of his squad car, and Robert got in next to him as he tossed his keys to one of the other guys. Meet us at the hospital. Robert rode with Michael to the emergency room. After Michael was admitted, Robert and the rest of his crew waited around for a few hours before the doctor came out. Robert approached him. How's he doing? We're waiting on a heart specialist. We could see on the x-rays that the knife apparently punctured his heart. And he's still alive? Robert asked. The doctor explained that it was possible, and that more than likely they'd be able to stitch him up and send him home. But they wanted to consult a specialist first. Robert thanked the doctor and turned back to the other guys. Well, I guess he's going to be okay. Nods of relief and, thank God, rolled through the waiting room. About an hour later, Robert returned to the hospital after running home and taking a quick shower. Several of his friends were still there. Robert saw the doctor he had spoken with earlier. Hey, he yelled while waving his hand. The doctor looked up and saw Robert. He closed his chart and went through the door that separated the waiting room from the triage area where Robert met him. How's my brother doing? Michael Cotilla, he asked. Earlier, he had told the nurse that he and Michael were brothers, so he'd be able to get information about him. He expected the doctor to have some sort of definitive word from the cardiologist. The doctor took a deep breath. I'm sorry. Your brother just passed away a few minutes ago. Robert's head got light. But you said you were going to stitch him up. "'Apparently the damage to his heart was more than suspected,' the doctor said. "'More than you suspected?' Robert started breathing rapidly. "'No longer lightheaded, his face flushed with anger. "'But you said he was going to be all right.' It took what little self-control he had to keep him from strangling the doctor. "'Instead, he buried his head in his hands. "'After a few slower breaths, he asked, "'Can I see him?' "'The words were barely audible, but the doctor understood.' Sure, let me tell the charge nurse so she can make those arrangements. Just wait out here. She'll call you back when Michael is ready. The only time he ever saw Michael get into a confrontation was when he accidentally hit one of their punch ball buddies in the eye with the ball. The kid got mad at him and hit Michael in the eye. Michael did nothing to retaliate, even though it was an accident. That was just the kind of guy he was. There was no way anyone could have a beef with him, especially one that would cause his death. But here he was in a small, dimly lit room, lying motionless on a cold steel table, his face white as chalk. His shirt was missing and only a white linen sheet covered his body up to his chest. On his left side, close to his armpit, was a red dot on the sheet about the size of a pencil eraser. Robert pulled the sheet down enough to reveal a wound about an inch long. He replaced the sheet and began to weep. Many times Robert asked Michael to party with him and he turned him down. Now, the one time he said yes. I don't know who did this to you, Michael, but I promise I'll get him. The next day, Robert went over to Phyllis's house. His remorse over Michael's death was genuine, but his self-centeredness caused him to use it as a way to gain sympathy from her. She answered the door sniffling and with a tissue in her hand. When she saw it was Robert... She wrapped her arms around him and started to cry. After a few minutes of sniffling on each other's shoulders, she invited him in. She brought him into the living room where the three friends from the diner were seated on the couch. When they saw Robert, they all got up and hugged him. After they sat back down, they started drilling him with questions. Do they know who did it? Not yet, but when I find out, I guarantee you he's a dead man. Oh, Robert. Phyllis had a look of concern and squeezed his arm tighter. He patted her hand, encouraged that a rekindling of their relationship was being made. Robert looked at the others. The funeral is in a couple of days. They're not going to be able to make it. Robert turned around and saw Phyllis' father, Freddy Di Robert stood and held out his hand. Hello, Robert, Freddy said, shaking his hand. Sorry to hear about your friend. Thanks, Robert replied, thinking it strange that Freddy referred to Michael as his friend since he had known him as long as Robert. "'Why can't we go to the funeral?' Phyllis asked her father. "'Not now, Phyllis. "'But I don't understand.' "'Sure you do, Robert,' Freddy put his arm around his daughter. Except for his father, who was too ill to make it, Michael's funeral was attended by many of his family members and friends. Robert was very dramatic, crying and weeping on others' shoulders, which drew scorn from Nicky, who had taught Robert to never show his feelings.' Again, he felt remorse, but the drama was more about him receiving attention. About a month later, Michael's father passed away. Not long after the funeral, Jojo Corazzo, one of Nicky's other brothers, came by the crap game on Mott Street and picked Robert up in his car. Nicky and Lenny were down in Florida at the time, and Jojo went to a meeting regarding Michael's death. While they drove around, he explained to Robert what had happened. It seems your friend Michael was messing around with some guy's girlfriend or wife or ex. I'm not sure who she was. It doesn't matter. Anyway, this guy is a part of a crew that hangs out with a guy named Charlie Carnelia. Never heard of him, Robert said. He runs with the likes of Jeannie and Johnny, Jojo said, referring to two of the Gotti brothers. Anyway, this Charlie's one bad dude from what I heard. So his buddy tells Charlie about your friend Michael messing with his old lady. Now, I don't know how it happened but somehow they knew Michael was there at the diner. There was silence in the car for a moment. Then Robert said, so they set us up. What do you mean? There was this guy, Vito, hitting on Phyllis. While I was dealing with him, they killed Michael. They got me away from Michael so they could kill him. So this Charlie guy, he's the one that killed Michael. Yeah. Who gave the order? Nobody. Nobody. He took the matter into his own hands. Great. Then point me in the right direction, and I'll take care of it. That's the thing, Robert. This guy Charlie's untouchable. Nobody is untouchable. It's an order straight from Neil. Charlie's done a lot of favors for Neil, if you know what I mean. Robert was frustrated. He swore as he hit the dashboard of JoJo's car. Hey, easy on the interior. JoJo wiped his hand over the dashboard. Listen, there's nothing you can do about Charlie. But Neil said you have his permission to take out one of the other guys that was there. Did he kill Michael? Well, no. Then why would I want to kill someone who had nothing to do with Michael dying? That's just stupid. Jojo held up his hand. Well, that's the only option you've got. Otherwise, you're just going to have to drop it.